God, I just pray this morning you would awaken us to your purposes and plans in a new way, God, that you would strengthen us, revive us, that we would be aware of your presence in every situation, God, that we would be more aware of your presence in the room. God, I pray that we would shift our mindset from asking you to come to realizing you're already there and asking us to be more aware of your presence that already exists in the midst of our situation. God, I just pray you would deepen us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take your seats. Pastor Lawrence is out ministering in Louisiana at church that we're connected to out there, so I get the privilege of speaking to you this morning. Uh, for those of you who are new or that I don't know already, my name is Pastor Chris, excited to jump right in the message today. You guys okay with that? Can we jump straight in? I hope you have something to take notes with. Uh, I say this all the time, and I will for the rest of my life. How many of you want to hear God speak? Then we need to come prepared. And not because I'm the most eloquent or amazing speaker in the world, but because I believe that God has a word for you today, uh, and he can use anyone. He spoke through a donkey, so there's a chance uh, that you'll get something good today, but have something prepared to write down. If God speaks something to you, jot it down so you can go back, remember it, reflect on it, because I promise God will always drop nuggets of wisdom through messages that you can go back and reflect on later. So, I want to jump right in. We are in our Outrageous Grace Focus. That's actually the title of my message this morning, if you are taking notes. And I just want to talk about something as we get started. How many of you have ever wrestled with the idea of grace? Anybody? Right? Like a lot of times we think of grace, and it's like, okay, so I had grace when I got saved, I met Jesus, and then what? Right? Anybody ever, maybe you've fallen, made a mistake, gone back to a sin that you struggled with, and then had the question of grace and God, can God really forgive me? Can I really move beyond this? Anyone ever found yourself in that position before? Anybody ever felt like you completely missed it, so now you've got to like start over in your faith? See, I think a lot of times we get caught up in these ideas, and I want to hopefully clarify a little bit of that for you today as we look and talk through what some of the Bible says about grace. But I actually want to do something a little bit different. I want to compare a couple people. But see, I believe a lot of times when we look at success and failure in our life, the difference between success and failure is often found in repentance. I know that may sound a little bit weird. Let me explain what I mean. Anybody ever try to do something and fail? Anything? Anybody ever, any of the, well, you got men or women, whatever, like to do house projects, right? You ever start working on something in the house and you totally did it wrong and you had to take it apart and fix it maybe a couple times, three, four times before you got it right? You with me? Anybody ever try to fix a project and like, yep, yeah, no, this doesn't work, so I'm going to leave the door like half hanging off? No, what do we do? We take it off and we try again. The difference between success and failure in our own lives often is the ability to repent and come back to God and say, God, no, let me have another shot at that. Let me try again. Let me keep going. Let me continue in this process. Just because I failed doesn't mean I'm out of the game. Just because I failed doesn't mean I'm out of the race. It simply means now I need to continue. 
I love the verse, though a righteous man falls, he gets back up. What's the mark of a righteous man that he gets back up? Not he never falls, it's that he gets back up. How many times you miss it doesn't determine whether you have a good walk with God or not. It's how many times you get back up when you miss it that determines the depth of relationship you have. It's the ability to get back up and say, no, I'm going to keep going with this. I was playing uh, Mario Kart. I'm going to go back a little bit here. All right, but me and the boys were playing Mario Kart, and it, it dawned on me thinking about grace in that game because in that game, if you fall off the track, it doesn't start you back at the beginning. No, the little dude hovers over and bloop, bloop, picks you up and drops you back where you were on the, on the cart. Life is a lot like that. When you mess up and you fall, God's not like, all right, square one. And you start your race all over again. No, he just picks you up and he puts you back on the track. That way you can keep going and keep going. So I want to compare a couple people and just look at their lives. Actually, I, I say I, I didn't anything. I felt like God spoke to me about this and I started looking and was really surprised at the similarities. But if I start to mention Peter, what do you think of? Walking on water. Huh? Ear, yes, cut off the ear, angry man, right? Chop the ear off. He was either really good with the sword or really, really bad. I'm just saying, there's no in-between there. Because he was either going for the head and only got an ear, or he was going for the ear to make a point. There's no, like, middle. I'm just saying. Side note, that's a freebie for you. What else? I say Peter. What else you think of? He denied Christ, right? So what about Judas? Yeah, yeah, okay. It's like Peter's like, okay, yeah, he walked on water. You know, he chopped that dude's ear off because he was about to mess with Jesus. Yeah, he denied him too, right? Judas, ooh, that guy. Right? I want to point something out. Both Judas and Peter were called by Jesus to follow him. Think about that. When we hear Judas, it's like, ooh, that guy. Because we really are only capitalizing on one aspect. I want you to look at something else here. Not only were they both called by Jesus to follow, in fact, they were both commissioned by Jesus to do miracles. If you look in Luke 9, verses 1 and 2, Jesus called the 12 together, the 12, not 11. He called the 12 together, and he gave them the power, the power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Judas went out to proclaim the gospel. Judas went out and prayed for people to be healed. Do, do you, are you with me? Judas. Like when I say, what do you think of Judas? You're like, that dude who healed people and cast out demons. Nobody says that. Right? We, cap, we, we really focus on that one failure there that really gets there. But before we get there, I want to point out a couple other things. They were both friends of Jesus. They were both a part of feeding the 5,000. They were both a part of taking care of the sick and the poor. They were both serving alongside. They were both there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Pretty crazy when you think about that, right? You're like, oh, but all the disciples were there. Yeah. But I still think that's pretty significant. 
If you saw the things the disciples saw, could you, how many of you were like, if I could be a disciple for one day, you would sign up, right? One day, if I could for one day walk with Jesus and see one of those miracles, Judas walked with all of them. He was a part of all of them. And I'll point something out. So John 12, let's look at verse, uh, verse 1. It says, six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So you skip, go, I'm sorry, not skip, go backwards one chapter, and it's the whole story where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The disciples are there. They see this. They're a part of it. And I love this because it just points it out here in John where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. So they gave a dinner to him there, and Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary took and poured an expensive ointment made before uh, made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas, one of the disciples, said, Why was this ointment not sold and given to the poor? Verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to, or he used to help himself to what was put in it. Really interesting. Judas was a part of all of these miracles. Judas is in the house hanging out with Lazarus. Not only did he see Lazarus get raised from the dead, but he was hanging out with Lazarus. Did y'all catch that? reclining in the living room with Lazarus. I mean, that sounds, that would be cool, right? Just to hear how that story went, just to sit in the room. But this is the thing I want to point out. All of the disciples were there. The only one who had a problem was Judas. Why? Because he was a thief and he wanted the money to be spent so he could actually rob from it, correct? You with me? Here's where I'm going with this. Judas was so hung up on his sin that he was missing the moments that he was given. He was missing the miracles that he was participating in because he was so focused on his sin. I just want to ask a question. How many times do we get so focused with overcoming this one simple area of our life that we miss all the amazing things that God's trying to do around us in the middle of us to bring our attention back to who he is but we're so focused on the sin that we miss the miracle that's right in front of us. See, the beauty of grace, I believe, I believe Jesus was not an idiot. Anybody else with me? Like, we can all pretty much agree on that, right? Then why in the world did he let a thief keep the money bag? Anybody else see a problem when you hear that? Like, Jesus, you know he's stealing from it. Why is he carrying the money bag? I believe that Jesus wasn't positioning him to continue to steal. He was trying to help him overcome his issue with stealing. So I believe there's a lot of times that Jesus positioned the disciples. And if we want to compare here, I'm talking Peter and Judas, because I believe Peter was the same way. See, I believe there's a lot of things that we see. Peter's like, oh, he chopped off the ear. Dude had anger issues. Right? Like when we talk Peter, we talk some anger issues. I actually think the anger issues were a byproduct of his fear. Why did he cut off the ear? Not because he was tough. It was because he was afraid he was going to lose Jesus. 
right? Why did Peter, well, Peter walked on water, but why did Peter sink? Not because he was strong and mighty, but because he became afraid and took his eyes off Jesus. I believe that God had, or Jesus had Peter get out of the boat to simply test the fear that he was struggling with, to help him, allow him to overcome the fear, the sin, the issue that he was fighting. I believe grace is what picks you up and positions you. Hear me. I'm not saying be stupid. There is a huge difference. I'm not saying, oh, I've got a problem with alcohol. I'm going to go hang out in the bar. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? What I am saying is I believe God will take your issue and your struggle and he will use it if you allow him and we come back and we're repentant for it. See, this is the thing that I find beautiful. Both of these guys walked with Jesus. They saw incredible miracles. Do you realize they both betrayed Jesus? They were both called the devil by Jesus. You remember that? Peter, they're not going to take you. Get behind me, Satan. You think you've had a bad day. When did Jesus look at you and call you the devil? I'm just saying, like, that's a whole new level of let's be real, okay? Called him the devil. In fact, John 6, 70, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he said, I have, have I not chosen you to be the 12, yet one of you is the devil. He's talking to, to Judas. They were both called the devil. They both denied Jesus. They both walked with Jesus, saw incredible miracles. There's really not a huge amount of difference in their life experience except for the fact that every time Peter would fall, he would come back. Judas simply tried to make an excuse to continue in his sin. In fact, what was the very thing that led Judas to denying Jesus? Money. 30 pieces of silver. Why was it that Judas missed the miracle? Because he was focused on the money. See, he was so consumed with his sin that he not only missed the miracle, but he ultimately betrayed the miracle worker. Let me ask you, how many times do we find ourselves in a place where we become so focused on sin that's going on in our life, trying to hide it, trying to cover it, instead of coming to a place of repentance from it, that we miss the miracles that are going on around us and often even betray the one who's trying to save us from the middle of it? We say Judas and we're like, oh, that dude. Can we be honest for a minute? Because most of us are Judas in the room. Anybody ever have that moment? I know some of y'all are like, I'm, I'm, I'm treading lightly. I know some people are like, I'm about to punch you in the face. You can come off the stage. Call me Judas again. Right? I saw it. I was like, <laughs> telling you, the moment I said, some of y'all are Judas in the room, like, Phew. like I was with you till you said that. No. How many times have you been so consumed with your own issue that you betrayed the call of God on your life? Let's be honest for a moment. How many times have you been so consumed with the own things that you were facing and walking through that instead of just being repentant, saying, God, I have totally blown it. Help me. We've said, no, God, I've totally blown it. I'm out. See, God never discredited you. You discredited you. This is the thing I love about grace. You never run too far for grace to catch you. Now, there's another thing that I really want to focus on here. Because, yes, they both denied Jesus. Yes, they were both called the devil. All these things happened. Jesus washed both of their feet. I don't care how mighty you think you are in the spirit or how 
broken you think you are, Jesus still served them both. He humbled himself and he served them both. They both ate at the table. At the Last Supper, when they were gathered there, they both ate at the table. I don't care how many times you've failed. I don't care how, many, how far you've gone. Jesus always has a seat at the table. Do, do you realize Judas ate? Like, think about that for a moment. Judas ate at the table with Jesus. He humbled himself, washed his feet, and then gave him a place at the table, all while knowing he was about to betray him. Anybody ever got mad because you knew somebody talked bad about you or didn't like you, and you were like, I'm done. I ain't even, I'm not even answering your text, right? I'm not even going to go in that room because they're going to be there, right? Jesus is like, yeah, they're going to be there, so I'm going to serve him. Not only am I going to serve him, I'm going to pull up a seat at the table. I'm going to provide all the way through. See, this is the beauty of grace. It doesn't matter what your intent. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. Grace always provides a seat at the table if we're willing to sit down and eat. See, I believe there's a huge difference because when Judas betrays Jesus, it's really about the last thing we hear of him other than he's so overcome with his guilt that he goes and he hangs himself. See, he missed the miracles because he was consumed with the sin until he gave in to the sin. And then he was still so consumed with what he had done wrong that he ran himself into the ground. See, I believe there's a lot of times we do that to ourselves, where we'll fall into, so let me rephrase that. I hate the term fall into sin. You didn't fall into sin. You planned it. You did it. You walked it out. Let's just be real. Okay, we, we try to excuse sin way too much in our life. Well, I fell into temptation, Pastor. No, you didn't. Well, I just fell into the web. No, you didn't. I just felt you didn't fall into it. You planned it. Well, I just, I didn't mean to steal stuff from that store. I just found it in my purse. It, until you looked around, found the security cameras, turned your body, and then put it in the purse. You planned it. You walked it out. It might have happened quickly, but there was a plan long before there was an action. We didn't just fall into sin. We positioned ourselves in a place that was easier to happen. See, the beauty of grace is no matter where you fall in that, God's always able to take you back. Now, hear me, because this is something that I believe is one of the most important pieces I'm going to say today. You ready? I believe we have misrepresented grace largely in the world that we live in because we've used grace as a trampoline to say, yep, I can do whatever I want. God's grace is always going to pick me back up. And it's going to pop me right back in there. Are you with me? The problem with a trampoline is, yes, grace will always pop you right back up, but you never actually go anywhere. Grace is not your trampoline. Grace is a safety net so that when you push yourself farther, when you get higher, when you're going somewhere you've never gone before, there is something to catch you even if you fall. See, grace is the thing that provides you to do more than you ever thought possible. And if and when you fail, it's there to catch you so you can try again. I believe one of the most beautiful depictions of grace is actually found in Luke 22. Verse 31, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to shift you, sift you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you 
that your faith should not fail. Let me pause right there really quick. How many of you guys are like, man, that sounds amazing. Like, the devil's going to come at me, and Jesus is pleading that I'm not going to fail, that I'm not going to fall. Jesus has got my back. Anybody with me on there? How many of you guys are excited about that? How many of you guys realize that is the God you serve right now? What does it say? He is right now. When he ascended into heaven, he what? Is interceding at the throne of God for you. That verse is playing out right now in this moment for each and every one of you in the room. Now, here's the important part that I want us to catch after that. Not only is he interceding for you, says Simon, that your faith would not fail, so that when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I love that. To me, this is one of the most beautiful depictions of grace because Jesus is like, I pray that you never fall. I pray that you are there and you are strong and you stay ready. But when you blow it, come back and here's what we're going to do. Like, to some people that cannot be encouraging at all because like, thanks, so I'm going to blow it. Anybody else in the room is like, great, that means failure is inevitable. Right? Like, I'm praying, Peter, that you don't fail. But when you do and you repent and come back, here's where we're going to go. That can be really disheartening, but I want you to hear it from this standpoint. Right now, Jesus is interceding for you. Will you fail at some point in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So what do we do when we fail? We simply come back to Jesus, and here's where we're going to go. See, it's actually a beautiful depiction of grace that even though you're going to miss it at times, Jesus is always with you in those times. Even though you completely are going to fail and he knows you're going to fail, he never gave up on you. Not only did he not give up on you knowing you're going to fail, he's actually got a plan for you after you fail. But that's where we've got to understand grace is to help push us further, not to allow us to stay where we are. Because if we misrepresent grace that way to where grace is what keeps us and allows me to stay in this cycle of sin in my life, then we actually don't understand grace because grace is to help propel you, not to let you remain in the sin that you're in. Some of y'all just need to hear me today. If your struggle is still a struggle, you're not defeated yet. Can we talk about this in church? Can we talk about the fact that we've all got struggles and issues, right? I mean, like, can we be real for me? We get, I get so tired of people acting like they're perfect and they've got it figured out, or we just don't talk about those areas. Really? You know my favorite thing to do when I'm meeting with other pastors? I love this. I ask two questions. I, don't, I stole this from somebody. I don't remember who it was, but I love it. First question I ask when I meet with any other pastor, like, so what do you guys do really well? Because they're excited to talk about that. Like, oh, well, here's, here's what we do right. Like, what are y'all horrible at? I love that question. Because everybody's taken back by like, I mean, I'm not horrible at anything, right? Yeah, we are. And this is the thing that I found. If I open a conversation with those two questions, we get past the surface. Here's how awesome I am really quick. And we're able to have just a real genuine conversation and actually go relationally deep. I want to encourage you, when you're meeting somebody new for the first time, eh, hear me. Don't lay all your problems out like, I'm just trying to get us to go deep. No, you're not. Everybody doesn't need to know your issues right up front. Those need to be trusted sources, trusted people. You with me? Facebook is not trusted. Okay? I'm helping you out. But if your struggle is still a struggle, you're not defeated yet. Some of you guys need to hear me. I've been struggling with this for years, Pastor Chris. Good. 
Have you embraced it to be part of who you are and you walked away from what God's called you to? Because if so, then you're living as Judas. Have you embraced the fact that it's a struggle and you need to overcome it because you're living as Peter? And let me tell you, there's a lot more coming and a lot more that God wants to build and establish on you if you're willing to say, this is my struggle. Let's identify and move beyond this struggle and bring it to Jesus. Repent from it and move on. Don't mistake God's grace in your situation for his approval of your situation. What do you mean? I mean, Judas carried the money bag. That doesn't mean God or Jesus approved of him stealing from it. Well, but God, God's got grace for my situation. Yeah, but that does not mean he approves of it. Are you with me? There's a big difference here that we've got to understand. There is a time and a place where God has grace for what you're walking through and where you are to help remove you from what you are walking through. That does not condone where you are. You got, you got tracking me. See, I think a lot of times we get really confused because it's like, well, God, I know you haven't left me, so you must be with me. Well, yeah, he's with you because he loves you, but that doesn't mean he's condoning See, I've heard people say a lot of things, and I think we get really tricky right here, and we've got to be really careful because there are things that God is calling you to that requires a level of sacrifice in our life. I believe there's something that God wants to do in each and every one of you that requires you to give up certain things in order to go further in your relationship with him. Are you with me? See, when I got married, there were some things that my wife tolerated because we were engaged right? And it was new, and she was in love. And then we got married, and she's like, yeah, you ain't gonna keep doing that. <laughs> Anybody relate? Right? And it's not that she was lying about it. It wasn't that those things weren't there. They just weren't the main issue in my life at that moment. See, I believe God's like that a lot in our own lives. Because he looks at us, and how many of you guys thank God that he doesn't show you everything that's wrong with your life in one glimpse? Right? Anybody ever get disheartened because you feel like God shows you something, you work on it, and it's like, I finally arrived. I made it. This area is gone. Door number two. It's like, I've arrived. Door number three. It's like, Jesus, come on. Right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Just because you see God moving in an area of your life, he's moving you forward. Don't, make the, don't take that as thinking everything's right about the way that you're living. Let's continue to look and see, God, what are you wanting to improve in me? What are you wanting to grow in me? What are you wanting me to do? What is it that I need to remove to hear you better? I, I don't know how many times I've said to students coming back from camp, what's the difference when you come back from a camp experience and it's like this high and like, God, I can hear God, see God more than any time ever in my life. What's different? From that, from when you went, it's the same God. What made this one week so life-changing in your life? You removed the distractions for a week. Anybody ever like, God, I'm going to fast and pray for a week, and at the end of that week, you're like, man, I can hear God so much clearer. Anybody? Anybody? It's amazing when we say, I'm going to remove something from my life so that I grow closer to God. There's this magnification of his voice that begins to happen. 
See, I believe that God's grace on our life works in every situation and scenario so that when we're walking through something, God's grace is in the middle of the battle that we're facing, right? But he's also gracious enough that he's not letting us get crushed by the battles we've not faced yet. I believe there's two parts that are going on at all times because God is always fighting for you. And he loves you. He's trying to bring you back to this place of reconciliation. And we've got to understand if we are led by the sins that we're struggling with, we're going to find ourselves constantly frustrated. But if we are led by the anointing of God and the call of God on our life, we're going to find ourselves walking in way more freedom. Let me put it to you like this. Anybody like cake in the room? Any cake people? I like cake a lot. Really, I like anything sweet a lot. But here's the deal. Anybody ever eat and it's like, man, I'm so full, but I really want more, right? So you go to the other room, it's like, I'm just not, I'm not going to worry about cake today. I'm going to go, I'm going to eat an apple my, where my healthy people at, right? I'm going to eat some fruit because I don't take anything like cake. Same. Right? Like, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to focus on this. Anybody still like, man, but that cake's in the other room. You smell the cake, right? You see the cake. Like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go work in the kitchen at the bar for a little bit on my computer sitting next to the cake. Right? But I'm not going to touch the cake, but I'm, I'm going to focus on my work. Man, that cake looks good. Anybody you know what I'm talking about? Anybody else do that? Anybody do that in your own life? I'm not talking about cake anymore. Man, I really want that. I'm not going to focus on that, but I really want that. See, I think there's something really important that we've got to learn because grace actually wants to put you in a place of freedom. And I think a lot of times when we're so focused on if I can just not sin, if I can just not sin, if I can just not sin, you may no longer be actively participating in that sin, but what holds your attention? That sin. Well, but I'm not, I'm not participating anymore, Pastor Chris. No, but that's the only thing you focus on. So that sin still very much captivates your life. Are you with me? Anybody ever notice if I leave the house, I don't think about that cake much anymore. If I go do something else I enjoy, I'm no longer thinking about that one thing. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's the point that I'm making. If I've got a lust problem in my life, then what I need to do is not constantly try not to have lust. What I need to do is be given to the purpose of God in my life, and all of a sudden I have far less time to be given to the lust issue that I have. Are you with me? Well, I've got a greed issue. Well, if I begin to give myself to serving others, I have far less time in my life to worry about what I'm getting. It's all about shifting our focus, and that's what I'm talking about here. I believe there is a grace on your life to shift your focus that I'm not completely over this area. I'm struggling in this area. Then give it to me and let me focus you on what I've created you for. It's the reason we don't have to be perfect to move in what God's called you to move in. Anybody in here ever just thankful you don't have to be perfect? I believe it's the grace of God in all of our lives if we're willing to embrace it. And say, God, here's where I'm broken. Here's where I'm flawed. Repent and move forward. See, I, I keep saying that. I want to focus on this for just one quick second. I'm going to wrap up right here. If I can get the band start coming back up. Repent is real simple. Repent isn't saying I'm sorry. 
repent is saying I'm sorry and then changing something about the way I live my life so I don't go back to that action. Are you with me? See, saying I'm sorry without life change is just manipulation. Did y'all hear me? I know that, that one was kind of a quick one. But if we're just telling Jesus, God, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I did that. But we're not changing anything in our life not to continue to do it. We're really just trying to manipulate the relationship with God so that, God, I I still want the benefits from you, but I still want to participate in what I want. No, God, I'm going to repent of this, so I'm going to try to change something about my life. That doesn't mean that's no longer a struggle for me, but it means I'm going to change something about the way I live so that I can now live in a relationship with you, and your grace can help cover that and make that gap. See, I believe there's a grace that God wants all of us to have. And it's a grace from sin. It's also a grace not to get so tied up in not being in sin that we get tied up in legalism, but it's a freedom to actually be who God's called you to be. In fact, Galatians 5.1 says this, so Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure you stay free. And he goes on to talk about not being entangled in legalism, but this is the thing I want you to get. This is where I'm going to close. Peter and Judas both saw the exact same miracles. They walked with the exact same Jesus. But one was so focused on their issue, they missed the true depth of relationship. Don't miss the relationship that God wants in your life today because we're so hung up on our issue that issue is going to be different for everybody, but I want to ask this question. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here today and you say, one of two things. First one is, I don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. I don't have that, and I want that. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody else? I want everybody in the room repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live more like you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing, if you're in the room and you say, I've got my own issue of sin, I've got a relationship with God, but there's this one area that I've been struggling with and struggling with and struggling with, and I need the grace of God in this area so that I can walk in freedom that he's intended for my life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, thank you. Anybody else, thank you. God, I pray right now for every person of the courage to lift their hand. God, I pray that your grace would cover every flaw, every fault, every sin, every issue, that we would give that to you. And God, I thank you that you remove that from us, God, that we would be able to walk in your grace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.